You are listening to The Pregnancy Podcast with Vanessa Merton. Hello, thank you for tuning into this Q&A episode of The Pregnancy Podcast. You can visit pregnancypodcast.com forward slash Q&A to find all of the past question and answer episodes or to submit a question for a future episode. Show notes for this episode can be found at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage. This week, I'm responding to an email from Lauren. Her email reads, I'm disappointed. Not in your podcast, as I always found this to be a great resource and go-to while I was pregnant, but that we lost our baby at seven and a half weeks. There were no answers, no comfort, and I knew that it wasn't anyone's fault. Afterwards, I was in shock and I was heartbroken. The Pregnancy Podcast was one of the first places that I went to for information, and I was sadly disappointed that there was not any information or awareness about miscarriages. It would make me feel much better if you had information on miscarriages for future mothers. On a positive note, we will be trying for a rainbow baby soon, because after every storm, there's always a rainbow. Lauren, thank you so much for your email. And you're right, this is a topic that I have neglected to cover on the podcast, and my heart just broke for you and your loss. And I was so sorry for the disappointment that you felt when you looked to the pregnancy podcast and you didn't find the resource that you needed. Like you said, after every storm, there's always a rainbow. So I'm so thankful that you brought this to my attention and that you called me out. And I want to correct my mistake of ignoring the topic of miscarriage on this podcast. I know that you are not alone in going through this, and my heart goes out to every mother who has ever lost a baby. For anyone listening that may not be familiar with the term rainbow baby, This is commonly used to refer to a baby that's born after a mother has experienced a loss. Miscarriage is a term for a pregnancy loss within 20 weeks, and a loss after 20 weeks is medically considered a stillbirth. Miscarriage is scary. In both of my pregnancies, I had some anxiety about the possibility of miscarrying. It is a real possibility especially early on when you have some signs or symptoms of pregnancy, but you don't look pregnant and you can't feel your baby moving or kicking. And it's like I would think to myself, well, you know, I think I'm pregnant and I hope everything's okay. And it's common to have some anxiety that you could lose your baby. And I definitely felt that at times. Rates of miscarriage are terribly confusing. The most widely accepted statistic is that 10 to 15% of clinically recognized pregnancies result in a loss. One study showed this number may even be higher for pregnancies that miscarry prior to being clinically recognized, and it could be as high as one in three. This comes from a study that was measuring hormone levels with tests that are much more sensitive than just an at-home pregnancy test or a pregnancy test that you would take in a doctor's office. When they included the miscarriages detected by these sensitive hormone tests, the total rate of miscarriage was 31%, and 22% ended before pregnancy was clinically detected. 
So this goes to show that many miscarriages can occur before you even know that you're pregnant. And of course, if you already know that you're pregnant, then the numbers are going to be much lower for you. A study that compared pregnancy loss among black women and white women had pretty clear statistics. I don't want to examine this from a race perspective, but this was a study that was carried out over a 10-year period and included over 4,000 women. And it was published in 2013, which is relatively recent. They found that the incidence of miscarriage after the fifth week of gestation was 21.3%. And risk of loss was greater for women who were older, who had a higher body mass index, who did not use prenatal vitamins, and who had a previous history of miscarriage. You're going to see a common theme in that miscarriage rates vary a lot when you look at other factors like smoking or maternal age. And any study that I'm talking about in this episode will be linked to in the show notes. An Australian study published in 2008 looked at miscarriage rates of 697 women after the pregnancy was confirmed by an ultrasound between 6 and 11 weeks. Overall, the rate of miscarriage in the group was 1.6%. And remember, this was after an ultrasound was performed. This was the highest in the early weeks, and it decreased as pregnancies progressed. At six weeks, the miscarriage rate was 9.4%. At seven weeks, it was 4.2%. At eight weeks, it was 1.5%. At nine weeks, it was 0.5%, and then at 10 weeks, it slightly increased to 0.7%. Another study found higher rates of miscarriage and that it increased with maternal age. This included a total of 668 pregnancies that were confirmed with a transvaginal ultrasound, and at follow-ups, a total of 7.5% resulted in a loss. 45 cases within the first 15 weeks, 4 cases between 20 to 30 weeks, and 1 loss at 38 weeks. These statistics were higher than the Australian study that I mentioned. It was 10.3% at 6 weeks, 7.9% at 7 weeks, 7.4% at 8 weeks, and 3.1% at 9 weeks. And for those under 20 years of age, the overall miscarriage rate was 4.4%. For those aged 20 to 35, it was 6.7%. And for women over the age of 35, it was 18.8%. So, okay, did I lose you there? I know that I just threw a ton of stats at you. My aim is not to confuse you, but to show you that these numbers vary all over the place. And there are so many factors that can increase or decrease miscarriage risk. And it's really difficult to put a number on the population as a whole. And the most commonly accepted figure is 10 to 15% total, which is a lot, I know. Just to cover some terminology, a threatened miscarriage is bleeding with cramping or lower back pain in which your cervix remains closed. An inevitable or incomplete miscarriage is essentially the symptoms of a threatened miscarriage, but your cervix opens or your water breaks. A complete miscarriage 
is when the embryo and any other products of your pregnancy have emptied from the uterus. A missed miscarriage is when an embryo isn't expelled. So there are no signs of a miscarriage other than a lack of fetal heartbeat. This is something that often goes undetected. A recurrent miscarriage is when you have three or more first trimester miscarriages. An embryonic pregnancy happens when an egg implants, but it never grows. An ectopic pregnancy is when the egg implants itself somewhere other than the uterus. This usually happens in a fallopian tube. And a molar pregnancy happens when there is abdominal tissue that's growing in your uterus, and it's as a result of a problem in the fertilization process. In general, when we're talking about a miscarriage, it can include any of the long list of things that I just went through. Some warning signs of a miscarriage are back pain, weight loss, having discharge that's like a whitish pink, contractions, bleeding, or if you have uh, brown or bright red blood, and this can be with or without cramps. And if you have any tissue or clots that are passing through your vagina, and a sudden decrease in pregnancy symptoms. And I always think that it's best to err on the side of caution. If your gut is telling you that something is not right, and if you have any signs of a miscarriage or have any concerns, please contact your doctor or midwife right away. The most common cause of a miscarriage in the first trimester is due to a chromosomal abnormality. These abnormalities are the result of a damaged sperm or an egg or a problem with the embryo during the division process. There are also problems with your uterus or cervix that can cause a miscarriage. A septic uterus is the most common congenital abnormality of the uterus. And congenital means that it's something that you're born with. And this is essentially when your uterus is divided into two sections. Asherman syndrome is when you have scars or scar tissue in your uterus. Fibroids, which are growths in your uterus that can inhibit a baby's ability to grow or affect the blood supply. Cervical insufficiency or an incompetent cervix. This is when your cervix dilates early. I did a past episode on this that I'll link to in the show notes. And infections, like some sexually transmitted infections or something like listeriosis, which is a foodborne illness, can also cause a miscarriage. And there are quite a few risk factors, which are things that can put you at a higher risk for miscarriage. This includes if you've had two or more previous miscarriages, being older than 35, this is another topic that I've covered in depth on the podcast, and I'll link to that episode in the show notes. If you have exposure to cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs, that can increase your risk. Also, exposure to harmful chemicals like solvents, which would be something like paint thinner. Some autoimmune disorders like lupus can increase your risk. Obesity, PCOS, which is polycystic ovary syndrome, and this is when you have cysts in your ovaries. Also, diabetes, thyroid problems, and some invasive prenatal tests like a CVS or an amniocentesis can also carry a risk of miscarriage. So, knowing all of these things, how do you prevent a miscarriage? Well, 
Since the majority of miscarriages are due to chromosomal abnormalities, there's really not a whole lot that you can do to prevent them. The best thing you can do is for you and your partner to be as healthy as possible when you are conceiving. Once you're pregnant, of course, you know that you want to avoid harmful substances like smoking, alcohol, drugs, and just do your best to have a healthy pregnancy. And that's not to say that anyone who miscarries has an unhealthy pregnancy. Like I said, the majority of these are due to a chromosomal abnormality, which is something that you just don't have a lot of control over. If you are having repeat miscarriages, your doctor or midwife may suggest some testing to try and figure out the cause of the miscarriages. And these tests can include chromosome tests, blood tests to look for autoimmune disorders, or hormone tests, or even tests like an ultrasound to examine your uterus for any abnormalities. When you have a miscarriage, it's important that all of the fetal tissue in your uterus comes out. And this is done with a procedure called a DNC, which stands for dilation and curatage. Your cervix is dilated and any remaining tissue is removed with a curette, which is a surgical instrument or with suction. And there are also some medications that can help your body pass any tissues that could remain. And the reason this is done, your care provider is addressing two concerns. One, they want to make sure that you're not hemorrhaging or bleeding, and they want to make sure that you don't have an infection, which can happen if anything remains in your uterus. Recovery from a miscarriage can take a few weeks to a month or more. And to be clear, this is for physical recovery. Emotionally is a whole different thing. One question that a lot of people ask is when they can try and get pregnant again. This is really a personal question. And the answer to this is really going to depend on when you decide that you are emotionally ready. Physically, you're generally going to get the okay to try again from your care provider after you've had one period. And your doctor or midwife is going to be a good resource to talk to about when your body will be physically ready to get pregnant again, just because they're going to know more about the particulars of your situation. And emotionally, you may not want to try again, or it may be a long time before you're ready. And that's okay. This is really a very personal decision. Emotional healing from a miscarriage is also a very personal thing. And what tools, resources, or methods that help you to grieve and heal are going to vary from one person to the next. And talk to your doctor or midwife about resources that are available to you in your area. One thing that can come up as a negative reminder of your loss is notifications from pregnancy apps or emails from pregnancy websites or ads in your social media feeds or on other websites that you're visiting. In the digital age that we live in, this stuff can bombard us, which is one thing if you're pregnant, maybe it's just a mild annoyance, but it's another thing if you've lost a baby and it's just a negative reminder of that. You can delete apps and unsubscribe from emails, but you still may be seeing ads for baby-related stuff online. And if that frustrates you, I'm sorry. I really wish that there were a way to turn that off. 
Grief is such a personal process. You may want to consider a memento to remember your baby. I had several emails back and forth with Lauren in preparing for this episode, and she sent me a picture of an ultrasound that she had framed and inscribed on the frame was, we will hold you in our hearts until we can hold you in heaven. This is something that has helped Lauren to remember her baby and maybe an idea that can help someone else too. Now more than ever, people are sharing more about miscarriage. And that's a good thing because by bringing it up publicly, it brings attention to it and it lets people know that they're not alone. Many people have shared their stories of loss on social media and celebrities have opened up about their own miscarriages. Sharing miscarriage news publicly or to friends and family may be a challenge, and that's going to differ for everyone depending on your circumstances. And you need to do whatever's best for you, whether that's sharing your story on social media, just letting your friends and family know, or maybe you just don't want to deal with it and you ask your partner or someone else to share that news privately with friends and family who know about your pregnancy. If you don't want to talk about it, then you should not have to. But do keep in mind that if you shared pregnancy news, people are likely going to be asking about your pregnancy. And if you're not comfortable talking about it, then enlist your partner or some other close friends or family to help you. If you have experienced a miscarriage, I am so sorry for your loss. And my heart really goes out to you. Please know that this is not your fault, and this is not anything to be ashamed of. It really is just heartbreaking, and I'm also sending you some positive thoughts through this difficult time. Lastly, I do want to share some additional resources. There are several groups that have local chapters or meetings, and all of these organizations offer support resources online, so they may be helpful no matter where you're located and links to all of these will be in the show notes. The Compassionate Friends is an organization that offers support groups for people who have lost a child, and this group is not specific to miscarriage. They have over 600 chapters throughout the U.S. Share Pregnancy and Infant Loss Support has 75 chapters in the U.S. and Canada. The March of Dimes offers a free booklet that's called From Hurt to Healing that you can request online. And MEND, which stands for Mommies Enduring Neonatal Death, is a Christian nonprofit that offers Christian-based support for those who have lost a baby. Lauren, I hope that this episode is a good start to a better resource for listeners who have been through what you are going through now. Thank you again so much for sharing your story and for calling me out so that I can really start a conversation about this topic on the podcast. You can see any notes and resources for this episode at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash miscarriage. I hope you are enjoying the Q&A episodes. If you have a question you would like me to answer, you can submit it at pregnancypodcast.com forward slash Q and A. 